Read it. It's good? You got uh, Good. All right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The last church I was at, I kid you not, the last church I was at, their sound guy was deaf. <laughs> and I thought, what's the excuse for my sound guy? Because he can hear and he still didn't get it right. But uh, just, I'm glad to be here this morning. And I want to thank publicly, I want to thank uh, the hospitality and um, the care uh, of the Eberleys. Um, you guys, I count you as dear friends now. Whether you count me a friend or not, I count you guys as friends. I appreciate you putting me and my family up, and we had a wonderful time over there. And uh, they're not she, Miss uh, Miss Kathy's a blessing, even though she's from Jersey. But uh, I was born in Jersey, so if anybody ever says, "Can any good thing come out of Jersey?" You can say, "Miss Kathy and Brother Sparks." Amen. Now I need to warn you about this message that we're going to be in here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in a lot of scripture. And so I'd like you to have your hands ready to prepare to go. I'm also going to need a couple men to read some verses for it. So it'll be a little bit different this morning, a little bit more of a Bible study. And once I lay that foundation, then I'll preach, then I'll preach. All right. Then we'll, then we'll let it fly. But let me lay the, the foundation first. And so, uh, I'm going to probably have about six or seven verses later on. I'm going to need some, some men to read for us. So hopefully you're willing to do that. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of first Peter chapter number one. First Peter chapter number one. This is where your Bible verse of the month is from. 1 Peter chapter number 1. We won't quite make it to that verse. But would you stand with me as we read 1 Peter chapter number 1. We'll start reading in verse number 12. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 12. The Bible says, and I should probably put my glasses on, huh? Alright. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judge according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by traditions from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest unto you in these last times for you, who... Verse number 21, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Father, Lord, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that you preserved them for us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts and our lives here today. And Lord, that we might gain a greater appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for saving us. Thank you for uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray if anyone here today does not know Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. We love you. Thank you for loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I was several years ago preaching through the book of 1 Peter, having a wonderful time there. But there was one phrase that really stuck in my heart and mind that I couldn't quite get my head around. And I couldn't quite understand really what it was talking about. But I believe now I kind of have a, a shallow understanding of what he's talking about. Look at verse number 12 with me again. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Now listen to this next phrase. Which things the angels desire to look into? 
which thing the angels desire to look into. Now, we know from Scripture what an angel is. Literally, the word angel means a messenger. And in the Bible, there are a couple things that we find angels doing. We uh, find angels um, protecting, and they give protection uh, to some saints of God. And I do believe in, in guardian angels, but they're they're protecting. Uh, there's some other other angels that are used in, in the past and in the future for for punishment. I believe that it's angels that are going to cast the unbeliever into the lake of fire. That angels are part of that punishment because of sin. But often, when we read about angels being messengers, they're making a proclamation. They have a message from God, something to declare that comes directly from the throne of God. And the Bible says that angels, that these angels have a desire to look into the gospel. The word desire means to set the heart upon, to long for, to look at, to lean over, to stoop down and consider. So the angels, the messengers of God, desire to stop and to stoop down and to consider something. And the Bible says it's the gospel. Several years ago, I was preaching in Colorado, and um, I'm out there in Colorado driving to the church where I'm going to preach at, and I noticed these these large brown things on the road, and they're everywhere, and I'm driving, and I see them here, and there's some brown things over there, and I couldn't quite figure out what they were. They were probably about that big around, and like, what is that? And so I, I pulled my truck over, and I opened up the door, and I stooped over, and I looked over to see what that that thing was, and I looked, and I'm like, no, that can't be what I think it is. Let me put my glasses on. Let me see what that is. And sure enough, they were tarantulas. I shut my door real quick, and I took off. I took off as fast as I could. I got to the pastor's house, and I'm knocking on the door. I said, there's tarantulas everywhere. They're all over the road. He goes, oh, yeah, it's their migration season. Now, listen, if you had told me there were tarantulas before I went to preach, I wouldn't have preached there. Tarantulas. But I had to stop what I was doing. I stooped over to consider what it was before I realized really what they were. What an amazing thing. And the Bible says that the angels of the Lord desire to stop, to stoop down, to look in and consider the gospel. They desire to behold and to consider the gospel. Now we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 what the gospel is. The Bible says, I declare unto you the gospel. How that Jesus died according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Folks, that's the Gospel. I love the fact that when Jesus was here, the Bible says in John chapter 2, He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said 40 and 6 years it took us to build this temple. Who do you think you are? Verse 21 says, He speak of the temple of His body. He said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again the third day. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. As Jonas was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again the third day. Matthew chapter 16, verse 40. Jesus said, I must needs go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the scribes and the Pharisees and be killed and rise again the third day. I am so thankful he rose again the third day. I'm thankful that that is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. And the Bible says that angels desire to stoop down and consider. And they desire to behold the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I scratch my my head and say, why? Why would an angel desire to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I think that angels are a little wiser than we are. I think angels know a little bit more than you and I know. And then here in our text, I'm going to give you the outline and then we're going to search the scriptures to see whether those things be so. But angels are fully aware of things that you and I aren't fully aware of. They are fully aware of things that you and I aren't fully aware of. The first thing I want you to see is that angels are fully aware of the holiness 
of God. Look with me at verse number 15. In verse number 15, the Bible says, but as he which hath called you is holy. Let me say this, that God is a holy God. Now, I know there's not a whole lot of preaching on holiness anymore, but God is a holy and righteous God. And every human being that has had the, the privilege of, of seeing part of God's glory and part of God's holiness have been overcome with the fact that God is a holy and righteous God. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, Thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. First Samuel chapter 2, verse number 2, There is none holy as the Lord, that our God is a holy God. Psalm 99, verse 5, Exalt ye the Lord God, and worship at His, foot, uh, at his footstool, for He is holy. Psalm 145, verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all His ways, and holy in all His works. Now do you realize that God's holy? It was Isaiah in the book of Isaiah that saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what did he hear? He heard, holy, holy, holy. And then he realized how sinful he was. What was me? I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I've become undone. I'm becoming unraveled because I knew that God was holy, but I was not fully aware of his holiness. What angels are. The Bible says there in the book of Revelation, chapter number 4 and verse number 8, and four beasts uh, had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes with him. They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Listen, folks, we have a holy and righteous God. Now, I know that we talk about the love of God, and God is a God of love, and God did show his love. But the love that God showed was to satisfy His own holiness. Let me say that again. The love that Jesus Christ displayed shows us that God was a holy God. A God that would take His wrath upon the the sin of mankind, upon His own Son, shows us that He is a holy and righteous God. You and I might not be fully aware of His holiness, but those angels are. They are fully aware of the holiness of God. Number two, angels are fully aware of the sinfulness of God. Of man. Look at verse number 14. They are fully aware of the sinfulness of man. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. He says those of us that are saved because of the gospel should be obedient children. But before we were saved, we were disobedient children. The Bible says um, that whereby as one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. In the book of Romans chapter number 5, uh, verse number 19, the same chapter, in verse number 19, the Bible says, For as by one man's disobedience were many uh, made sinners. The fact is that Adam was disobedient. You remember that story? Uh, I have a similar story myself. When uh, we were traveling at some, uh, we were in a, a prophet's chamber in a church we were preaching at, and my kids were little. Caleb was little. Corbin was little. Or Corbin wasn't even born yet. Uh, Caleb was little and Ken was little. All, they were all little kids and they were just adorable. But uh, when we went into this prophet's chamber, uh, they had a nice fruit basket for us. And praise the Lord for fruit baskets, but I'd rather have a Snicker basket. <laughs> Just, you know, I'd rather have chocolate. But by the way, uh, it helps in an airport not to have an apple too. So, <laughs> so, it's, uh, so they had this, 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 this bowl of apples there. And the rule in our house is, is that if you want an apple, you can have an apple, but you have to ask for an apple. You say, well, why do they have to ask? Because none of my kids when they were little would ever finish an apple. They'd take a bite or two, then they'd leave it around. It'd be a roll underneath the sofa or something, and you go, I smell applesauce. Do you smell applesauce? And, and it was a kid that had an apple, didn't finish it. So the rule was you have to ask for an apple. So um, I'm walking into the bedroom. The bowl of apples is on the, is on the table, and I hear the bowl wobble on the table. And I step back. I say, Caleb, he's reaching for an apple. I said, Caleb, 
you did not ask for an apple. Yes, sir. All right. You know you have to ask. So I go back to the bedroom. Wobble, wobble. Caleb James. Now I'm using his middle name. Caleb James, you did not ask for an apple. You need to ask for it. Yes, sir. I go back in the bedroom. Wobble, wobble. So I go back there in the, in, the, in the kitchen, and he's hiding under the table. I said, Caleb James, did you have an apple? No, Daddy, I'm not here. <laughs> not that bright, right? I said, Caleb James, did you take an apple? No, Daddy, I'm not here. Now, he might have got away with it, but the problem is, is the table he was hiding under had a glass top. <laughs> I am looking right at him. Ding, ding, <gasps> busted. It reminds me of after Adam was disobedient. He disobeyed a holy God. He disobeyed that God and God came down and said, Adam, where art thou? And he's hiding under a glass table, if you will. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God sees everything. Job in Job 42 said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. You know what I think. You know every word I say in secret. There's no hiding from you, God. And he looked around. This holy God looked around and saw a man that he walked with, that he had fellowship with. But now this man disobeyed him. And he became disobedient. And he became a sinner. And you and I have inherited that, that sinfulness. So now a holy God is now looking at a man that he can no longer walk with. He can no longer fellowship with because now this holy God is going to be separated from this sinful man. Look with me. Keep your finger in First Peter. Go back to Genesis chapter number 3. And let's find out what happens. Angels are fully aware of the holiness of God, but they're also fully aware of the sinfulness of man. Here in Genesis chapter number 3, look at verse number 24. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 24. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 24, the Bible says, in verse 24, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden, what? Cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So now this holy God looks at man who is now sinful. And he looks at this man and says, listen, I'm a holy God and you're a sinful man. Now there is going to be some separation between you and between me. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, that the hand of the Lord is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquity has separated between you and your God, and he will not hear you. Now because of sin, there is now going to be a separation between the holy God and the sinful man. And what God shows is a symbol of that separation. Not only to keep the way of the tree of life, but now there's a, there's a, there's a clear line of demarcation. There's a clear line that, that the holy God is not going to cross, that a sinful man cannot cross, and it's shown by these cherubim. Again in verse number 24, I already, I already left it. Look at that. I'm already, I already turned the page. That's terrible. Somebody read verse 24 very loudly, please. Alright, so picture this. Here it is now, say, for, for, say I'm Adam. And uh, God is a holy God, and God is a righteous God, and, and I'm Adam. And I walk with God in the cool of the day, but now I've disobeyed God. I've chosen to be disobedient, and now I am sinful, and sin is going to pass upon all men. And by the way, the, the devil lied to Adam. The devil lied, ye shall not surely die. In Genesis chapter 5, I believe verse 5, they died. The Bible says, whereby is, sin under, uh, whereby is one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Ezekiel chapter 18, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
And so now I'm, I'm, I've walked with God in the cool of the day, but now I'm a sinner. And now I want to approach God in His holiness, but now I can't approach God. I can't be where He is anymore. I can't walk with Him anymore. And what reminds me that I can't get into that holy God? There are these cherubim standing there with flaming swords. I, I cannot approach that holy God anymore. And from that time on, those cherubim, and I believe the cherubim and seraphim are a class of angels, that now no longer can a sinful man approach that holy God, and God uses cherubims to show that separation. Let me show you a couple verses to try to show you what I mean. Look with me at the book of Exodus. You were in Genesis. Let's go to Exodus. Exodus chapter number 26. Exodus chapter 26. I love hearing in church, I love hearing the, the sounds of the turning pages. You know, you go to some churches, you don't even need a Bible. Are you aware of that? Because it's never going to be opened. Praise the Lord for this church. Amen. Where the Bible's open. It's one of my, I have three favorite sounds in church. One of them's amen. One of them's the sound of the turning pages. The other one is, let's take up an offering for Brother Sparks. But okay, so back to uh, Exodus chapter number 26. Look at verse number 31. That's terrible. <laughs> Two out of three is not bad. <laughs> Exodus 26. Look at this. This is amazing, folks. Stay with me. Exodus 26 and verse number 31. Now, the Lord is going to make means for a man to approach this holy God, and it's going to be by way of tabernacle. And so you would go and, uh, into the tabernacle to worship the Lord, and you could go into those outer courts and some other things I know that you've already studied. But you were not allowed to rush into the Holy of Holies. You, you couldn't go there. There's a separation. You're sinful, and this place is holy. It is the holy of holies. And I'm a holy God, and you're a sinful man. So you can't rush right into my presence. And what did God show for that separation? Let me show you. Verse number 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet, fine twine linen of cunning work, with what? Cherubim shall it be made. And so even if you are allowed that year as a priest to go into the holy of holies, you're still a sinful man. And so you want to go and approach the holy of holies and the holy God you would, there was not a flaming sword. It was a, it was a veil. And God said specifically multiple times on that veil, I want sewn into that, into the very fabric of that veil, I want to be cherubim. So a sinful man would go, I want to see a holy God, but I, I can't. God is a holy God. And God uses the symbol of angels to say, God is holy. You are sinful. You cannot approach. Look at verse number 32. The Bible says, And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang it up, up, hang up the veil under the taches that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil of the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall what? Divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. Look at verse number 34. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. So if you were a sinful man and wanted to approach a holy God, you could not go there. And God uses angels to symbolize that division between a, a, a holy God and a, a sinful man. Look with me, if you would, at uh, chapter number 25, Exodus 25. What's, what's, in, what's in the Holy of Holies? That's a fair question. Why would a man want to approach the, the Holy of Holies? Why would he want to go into the Holy of Holies? Look at chapter number 20. Um, well, look at, well, sorry, look at 26 verse 35 first. Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 26 and verse number 20, verse number 35. The Bible says in verse number 35, um, verse number 34, thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. All right. So let's just quick review before we move on. Angels are fully aware that God is holy, 
holy, holy. They are fully aware that man is sinful. And God often uses them to show that division between a holy God and a sinful man. Adam could not go right back where he walked with God. There are cherubim there. Uh, the, the priests or any other man could not walk into the Holy of Holies because the cherubim are there. And if I were to walk into the Holy of Holies, God has set up this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seats. Listen to me very carefully. You, you needed to get to the mercy seats. But you couldn't get to the mercy seat because the cherubim were there and you're sinful and God's not. What would happen on that mercy seat? Well, back to Exodus Exodus chapter number 25. Exodus 25, look with me at verse number 17. Exodus chapter number 25 and verse number 17. The Bible says, And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work. Oh, wait a minute. So on top of the mercy seat, there are two what? Cherubs. There are two angels on top of the mercy seat. Now, you want to go there because the book of Leviticus says, Leviticus chapter number 16, verse 2, The Lord said unto Moses, Speaking to Aaron thy brethren, that he come not at all times in the holy place, within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. God says, I'm going to appear in a cloud on the mercy seat. But Aaron, you and your boys cannot come anytime you want to, or you're going to die. Think about this for a minute before we look back at chapter 25. Imagine you're the priest that year. It's your year. Would you be a little fearful? Would you make sure that you're, you're washed right and that you're, that you, uh, that you're dressed right and you have everything just right? And even if you thought you had everything just right, would it be a fearful thing to walk between those two cherubim and to walk into the Holy of Holies? When you read stories about Uzzah, who, uh, who's trying to stabilize that ark, which was on a new cart, which it should not have been on a new cart. And as it went to, to try to, the Kohathite tried to, try to, try to stabilize that ark and God struck him dead. When Nadab and Abihu offered up strange fire to God, that holy God struck them dead. I am a holy and righteous God. So imagine being that priest and it's your year, it's your time to walk in there. To walk into the Holy of Holies, it would be with great fear and trembling. And God says, you just can't rush in here. You can't just walk in here lest ye die. Look at chapter number 25 and verse number 17 again. Verse 17, Thou shalt make of, uh, make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. It's not very big. Verse 18, Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work. Let's just pretend right for a minute that this right here is, is the mercy seat. Can we do that for a minute? Are you all still with me? Is there anybody there? Okay, let's just pretend for a minute this is the mercy seat for a minute and let's just figure out what God says. If I'm able to walk into the Holy of Holies, I find there the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, if I go there, God says He's going to meet with me there, that God will appear there. So I want to be there. So what's going to happen there? The Bible says that uh, you shall put uh, two cherubims of gold, of beaten work, shall, shall thou make on the two ends of the mercy seat. So let's just pr- pretend for a minute I'm an angel. That's a stretch. That's right. Well, the angel is in the middle of the word evangelist, right? Uh, okay, anyway, I'm not an evangelist. All right, so here it is. So one cherub is going to be on one end of the mercy seat, and the other cherub is going to be on the other end of the mercy seat. Am I right so far? If I am, say amen. All right, so then the Bible says one's at one end, one's at the head, and one's at the feet of that mercy seat. And the Bible says, in, uh, even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubs on the, on the two ends thereof. Verse 20, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat. Uh, with their wings and their faces shall look to another. So I have uh, one uh, cherub on one end, and and the Bible says they're covering their wings, and I have another cherub on the other end, and and uh, covering it with my wings. Am I right so far? 
Okay, we're good so far. Let's keep reading. Verse number 20 one more time. The, ch- the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. All right, so one is at the head. How are you doing? And the other's there at the feet and standing over there looking at one another. Am I right so far? No, I have a no. I have a couple yeses. Well, I think the Bible should determine what we believe. Right? Alright. So verse number, verse number 20, one more time. The cherubs shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall what? Look one to another. Why? Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. God says, I want one cherub at the head looking at that mercy seat, beholding that mercy seat to see what's going on in that mercy seat. I want another cherub on the other end, one at the head, one of the feet, looking at what's happening on that mercy seat, looking at what's happening on that mercy seat. Can I ask you what's happening on that mercy seat? Are you are you aware of what's happening on that mercy seat? Well, we can look at, look at some verses. Uh, look at... Um, uh, well, I won't make a turn there, but let me read for you. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the, for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and then sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. The blood was applied there on the mercy seat. And the Bible says the angels need to be looking towards when that blood is being applied, when that, when that sacrifice is, be, is being made, that that's what they need to be looking at. That, that blood is what they're looking at. The blood is what they're looking at. A couple years ago, I was preaching in Minnesota, and there's an old pastor there. I mean, he, he was old then. I mean, uh, he's still alive, but he was really old then. And uh, and he had me in for revival meetings, and after the Sunday service, we went out to eat. And I said, hey, preacher, what, how were you saved? Uh, when did you get saved? He said, if I told you the story, you wouldn't even believe it. I said, well, oh, give, me a, give, me a, give me a shot. He goes, well, he says, I'm one of 12 children. Wow. He says, I'm one of the youngest of, of 12 children. He said, and one day I came home, I was a little boy, and I came home, and my oldest sister, uh, my dad wasn't around, uh, but my oldest sister came, and uh, she said, Mom, would you, would you read us the Bible? We were talking about the Bible in school, and, and you know it's a long time ago when they were talking about the Bible in school. Yeah. Would you read us the Bible? And she said, well, yeah, I guess I can find a Bible somewhere. And so she's looking around the house, and she found one of them giant family-sized Bibles. You know what I'm talking about? Like a 30-pounder? I mean, she found this Bible. And, and, and I said, really? He said, yep. And so she, she said, okay, kids, where should I start? And one kid says, from the beginning. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, we read it. She said, we would read it every day. And when we got to Leviticus, which is greater than most Christians get, a lot of Christians, I'm going to read through my Bible in a year. And you probably should. But most Christians I know, I'm going to read through my Bible through the year. Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus. I'll try again next year. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was uh, I was walking home from uh, church one day, and when I passed in the inner city, and uh, two guys got in a fight, and one guy pulled out a gun, so I'm going to shoot you, and I'm and then he pointed to me, I'm going to blow your brains out too. And I took my Bible, and I'm, I don't know why I did this. I took my Bible and I put it up over my heart like it's going to protect me. And I said, it's going to blow my, uh, I don't want to get shot. And so I put my Bible up like this and I slowly walked away backwards. Somebody said, Pastor, what were you thinking? Well, I'm thinking if Christians can't get through Levitic- Leviticus, maybe bullets can't either. Huh. <laughs> That's terrible. She said, when I, well, she said, when we got to Leviticus, I remember my mom taking that giant Bible, putting it down on the coffee table, said, all right, kids, the Bible says that we need to be right with God. In order to be right with God, we have to shed blood. 
She said, we all, 13 of us went outside, and she took a chicken, and she slit the chicken's throat. I said, what? He said, yep. My mom said we needed to have shed some blood, so she went out and she she killed a chicken. I said, you're kill, you're kidding me. Nope, we did that once a week. I thought, that's that's amazing. I said, I said, really? He said, really? He said, it wasn't until we got to the book of Hebrews. Praise the Lord, they kept reading. All the chickens said amen. She said, when we got to Hebrews 9, we realized that it was not the goats of bulls. It was not the goats of lambs. It was the blood of lambs. It was not the blood of, of oxen. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the remission of sin. She said, one after another, when we realized it was the blood of Jesus, one after another, we all just knelt there and asked Jesus to be our Savior. Yeah. Woo! I'm thankful for the blood. And the Bible says that the angels, the cherubim, are looking at that mercy seat where that blood is being sprinkled. And the Bible says they're looking into that. They're watching that and they're beholding that. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, He said, it is finished. I'm thankful for the blood of Calvary. I'm thankful for the blood of our Savior. And the Bible says that they were to look at it. Now from this point on, from the, from the, the construction of the tabernacle, God referred to Himself in a different name, in a different way. After the building of the tabernacle, God changed how you would meet with him, and what he was going to be called. Now, I need a couple men to, to read some verses for, for us. Um, if you're willing to read, would you would you just raise your hand? I need somebody to read, and I'll give all the verses out, and then I'll have you read them one at a time. Uh, I need somebody to read for us 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. Thank you. 1 Samuel 4, verse number 4. I need somebody to read for us 2 Samuel 6, verse number 2. Thank you, brother. 2 Samuel 6, verse number 2. I need somebody to read for us 2 Kings 19.15. Thank you. Second Kings 19.15. Somebody could read for us Psalm 80, verse number 1. Psalm 80, verse number 1. Thank you, brother. Psalm 99 and verse number 1. Nathan. All right. Thank you, Nathan. All right. A couple more. I'll do one more. Isaiah 73, verse 16. All right, Gavin. Uh, Isaiah 70. Sorry. Isaiah 73. Yeah. Good luck. Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah 37, 16. Isaiah 37, 16. All right, now, folks, I'm going to have them read those verses, and I want you to hear, and I want you to find the theme in all those verses. All right? The theme in all those verses. This is very important. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 4. Who will read that for us? Nice and loud. So God says, I am the Lord of hosts. I am the God that dwelleth between the cherubim. That I am the God that dwelleth between the cherubim. That's who I am. Somebody read for us uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Beth-Beleth of Judah to bring up the sense to the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubim. That dwelleth between the cherubim. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. So the king, the king of kings, the one that made the heaven and the earth, where is he at? He's the God that dwelleth between the cherubim. Let's keep reading. Someone read for us Psalm 80, verse number 1. God that, that dwelleth between the cherubims, shine forth. Psalm 99, verse number 1. He 
He sitteth between the cherubim. And then, then uh, Isaiah 37, verse number 16. Do you ever see the theme there? He said, I'm the God that created everything. I'm the God of Israel. I'm the God that delivered you. I'm the God of Joseph. But I'll tell you, I am the Lord of hosts, and I'm going to tell you where I am. I am the God that dwelleth between the cherubim. That when we read there in the book of uh, Exodus, there's one at the head and one at the feet. He said, if you want to meet me, there's one place that we're going to meet. I am the God that dwelleth between the cherubim. The book of Exodus chapter 25, verse 22 says this. Exodus 25, 22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims. He said, I'll meet you between the cherubims. That's who I am. I am the God. Now, folks, if you're going to meet the Lord, that's where we need to meet him. We need to meet him between the cherubim. So number one, angels are fully aware of the holiness of God. Number two, they are fully aware of the sinfulness of man. Number three, angels desire to look into the gospel, to stoop down and consider the gospel because they are fully aware of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now, stay with me. I'm going to read back here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 18. Excuse me, chapter number 1, verse 18. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. They are fully aware of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now very quickly, just stay with me. We're almost, are we all still okay? Amen. All right, both of you are all right, good. <laughs> Can I ask you this? Who announced the conception of Jesus Christ? Wasn't that an angel? And didn't he say, he said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save uh, save uh, his people from their... Who announced that first? It was an angel that announced that. Uh, there was an angel that went to Mary, an angel that went to Joseph. And uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse number 30, the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 20, Gabriel appears there to Joseph and says, For he shall save his people from their sins. Did the angels announce, were there angels that announced the birth of Jesus Christ? Yes, they did in the book of Luke chapter number 2, verse number 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. Listen, are you Jewish? I'm not Jewish. I am so thankful that it's good tidings to all people. Praise the Lord for that. It was an angel that announced that. Listen, was it important for Jesus to go to the cross without sin? The Bible says He hath uh, made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Yeah, he was the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. You realize in Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus was tempted of the devil and said three times, it is written, do you understand what happened in Matthew 4 verse 11? Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. They announced his birth. They announced his conception. They announced his birth. They came and strengthened him there when he was being tempted uh, to sin by the devil. When Jesus was in the garden, the Bible says in Luke chapter 22 and verse number 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. From the time that he was born to the time that he's tempted to the time where he's, he's going to the cross of Calvary. And by the way, my Savior was not scared of the pain of Calvary. He despised the shame of Calvary. That the Holy One would become sin, that he would become a curse for us. What an amazing thing. But angels about this ministry of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 26, and they came to arrest him and Peter takes out his sword. In Matthew 26 and verse number 52, then said Jesus unto him, put away again thy sword into this, in this place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray now to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? It seems to me that angels are all about this thing that Jesus Christ is doing. They are fully aware of the holiness of God. They are fully aware of the sinfulness of man. And they are excited about the fact that Jesus Christ would die. That He would die on the cross and shed His blood for man. Let me keep reading. Uh, angels are involved there even at His death. Now watch this. In Matthew chapter number 27 and verse 51, when Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Bible says that the veil... What was on that veil? That veil was rent from top to bottom. A holy God now allowing access to sinful man into the Holy of Holies because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That veil is rent. But folks, it gets better. Go to the book of John. John chapter number 20. We're almost done. You're doing well. John chapter number 20. So God's a holy God and, and man is sinful. Angels are fully aware of both. They're fully aware of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. They participated in some of that work. It's just an absolutely amazing thing. So angels desire to stoop down. They desire to consider this thing called the gospel. They desire to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's consider this. God, our creator, loves his other creation, the sinful man, and, and God, the holy God, is going to somehow reunite this, this, uh, this uh, sinful man to himself. He's going to draw men to himself. God's going to do this. And the angels are excited about it. And John chapter number 20, look with me at verse number 11. John chapter number 20. If you were going to meet with God, He's the God that dwells between the cherubim. He's the God that says, this is the one place that we're going to meet. With that shedding of blood, this is where we'll meet this one spot. And John chapter 20, look with me at verse number, out of certain verse number 1. John 20 verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Now, this is John, right? John's being uh, humble, if you will. John says, me and Peter, we ran to that, we ran to that, and I beat him there. Yeah. <laughs> he beat him there, but John stopped, and who's going in first? Peter's going in first. Sounds just like those two individuals. So Peter goes in, but watch what John does in verse 5. And he, what does it say? Stooping down, and what? Looking in. He's doing the same thing angels desire to stoop down and look in. And saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then come a Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin which was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and saw and believed. And as they... In verse number 9, and, and as yet they knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. Watch verse number 11. This is amazing. The Bible says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she what? Stooped down and what? Looked into the sepulcher. Verse 12, And seeth two angels in white, the one at the head and the other at the feet. Woo! Can I do that in Ireland? Glory to God! 
at the feet where the body of Jesus had, past tense, lain. Listen, you know what that's telling me? That's telling me, number one, Jesus is God. He is the God that dwells between the cherubim. He's not only God, He's the Lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. And if you and I are going to ever meet with that God, we need to meet with that God that dwells between the cherubim, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Job chapter number 9, Job talks about, you know what, I'm unclean. He said, I'm unclean. If I walked my, if I wash myself with, with snow ever so clean, if I try to do works, I, all of its vanity, I'm still filthy and unclean before this holy God. He said, would to God that, that he were a man. Would to God there were some daysman that could come between me and a holy God, come betwixt us and bring us together. I'm here to tell you what Job was praying for and what Job knew he needed. He needed somebody that would grab a hold of a holy God and a sinful man and bring them together. That man is Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. He's our intercessor. He's our testator. He's our mediator. He is Jesus Christ, our daysman and our advocate. I am so thankful for Jesus Christ. Have you ever met with the Lord? There's only one place. You're a sinner. We've all fall short of His glory. There's only one place to meet Him. And that is the God that dwelt between the cherubim. It's Jesus Christ. Now, the story's not over yet. Is it over? The Bible says after Jesus Christ showed Himself a lion, in Acts chapter number 1, Jesus, one of His last words were, He shall be witnesses of Me in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the innermost part of the earth. And then the Bible says that He ascended up into heaven. Do you remember that story? The Bible says that two men in white apparel said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing? Go preach the Gospel. Go preach the Gospel. Listen, maybe you've got, maybe you need to accept the Gospel of Jesus Christ and it needs to be obeyed in your life. You've never been truly born again. Maybe you have a lot of head knowledge but you've never really accepted Him. Folks, I've just showed you, I mean, we were in a lot of Scripture this morning. I just showed you that was the purpose for Jesus Christ coming so that you as a sinner can meet with the Holy God and He can say, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But if you don't meet him there, if you don't meet him there, let's say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. See, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You need to be saved. Some of you have kind of gotten over it. You were saved so long ago, you, you kind of grown callous and tired and the, the blood no longer motivates you. It no longer thrills your soul to think about what Jesus Christ did for you. God saving you from your sin. You've kind of gone complacent and lukewarm. I'm here to tell you, we ought to be excited about what Jesus Christ did. And then finally, if angels desire to look into it, I, I, I listen, I, I mean no disrespect for angels at all whatsoever, at all, especially if I have a guardian angel. Uh, I, I mean no disrespect to angels at all. I believe they're mightier than we are. But let me tell you this. There ought to be no angel in heaven. See, Jesus didn't die for the angels. He died for you. He died for me. And I know they probably have better voices. And I know they're probably louder. But there ought not ever be an angel more excited about praising God. Glory to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. You realize when we go to heaven, that's what we're singing about. We're we're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to say glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. And there ought never be an angel that's more excited about the shed blood of Jesus Christ than those of us who have experienced and tasted so great salvation. Folks, listen. A lost and dying world needs to hear this gospel. And I have a feeling that if he gave that responsibility to angels, it'd be done by now. But he gave it to us. It should, cons- I mean, that is our motivator. It is our mission. 
It should be our love and our concern. If the love of Christ could constrain us that He died for all, because we were all dead, we should want to live for Him. I think the greatest motivator in all the world is love and not fear. And the greatest display of love was on the cross of Calvary. And God says, will you, will you meet me? Will you meet me here? Listen, draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. God, God shouldn't have to move. And God doesn't have to move. But He did. Yet man in our stubbornness and our sin, we won't move. We won't ask Him to save us of our sin. We won't, we won't ask Him to forgive us and be our Savior. For those of us that have, we've kind of grown a little bit lukewarm, a little bit weary. See, Jesus Christ died to save us from our sin. Jesus Christ died so that we'd have access not just to heaven. Please listen to me and I'm done. Jesus did not just die to give us access to heaven. Jesus died to give us access to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no sinful man, cometh unto the Father but by me. Only one place to meet Him. Only one place to meet that Savior. Have you met Him? And if you have, have you told anybody about Him? The angels desire to look into the Gospel. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would. Let me ask you this. Is there someone here this morning who say, you know what, Pastor Sparks, I'm not sure if I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. I'd like to pray for you. See, I know the Gospel, or I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. If I died right now, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. If that's you, would you honestly slip up your hand right now that I might pray for you? Pastor Sparks, would pray for me. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. All right, Christian, let me ask you this. We've, we've covered a lot of Scripture here today. I just wanted to magnify what Christ has done for us. And I hope that through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you've maybe you've grown a little bit callous and lukewarm. Listen, that the blood of Jesus Christ, His mercy, His grace, so great salvation ought to be stirred. Peter says, I stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. I would say, you know what, uh, Pastor Sparks, I've been kind of cold and callous. I'm, I'm still serving and doing things, but I've grown a little bit complacent. This morning, I'm thankful for looking into the gospel. I'm thankful for what Jesus did for me. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for such a wonderful Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word despite my frailty and carnality, Lord God, that you'd use your word to draw your people closer to you today, having been here, having opened up the scriptures. Father, we would just like to thank you. Thank you so much for being so gracious and kind. We know that you're holy and that we're sinful. We're thankful for our mediator, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the Lamb of God that took away my sins. Well, we can never thank you enough. Help us to live for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.